0: Greetings, friendlies. Welcome to Dharma PhD, conversations about the science, philosophy, and culture of mindfulness and secular Buddhism. I'm your host, Shannon M. Whitaker, joined once again by my fabulous co-host, Jeff Street. Welcome, Jeff. Hello.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: <laughs> How are you? I'm very well.
1: I've had a wonderful day. Excellent. And I'm, I'm looking forward to an interesting conversation.
0: Oh, well, my goodness. Maybe we can find one for you later. All right. Uh, but uh, where's the drum roll? <laughs> oh, I turned it down. Hang on. Is it this one?
1: There it is. There it is. What are we talking about today?
0: Last episode, we finished the six-part series, right? So a new topic, completely new topic.
1: Completely new, through through our, our mostly your powers of perseverance (laughs) and determination, (laughs) we've arrived here at a fresh new frontier. At a
0: fresh new frontier. So I have started a course, which of course you know about, Jeff. It's called the Committed Practitioner Course. CBP? No. Pr- pr- committed Practitioner Program. <laughs>
1: yep. Otherwise, it'd be a CPC.
0: Right. But um, no, CBP. CBP. It is hosted by Bodhi College. It is an 18-month program. So there's going to be a couple more podcasts on this. Mm-hmm. The way the program is set up is we have some modules in person. So I amazingly traveled in December. Mm-hmm. For the first time in forever, in forever, I was able to travel and I actually got to see other people. In other, person. other
1: practitioners in person.
0: Other practitioners in person. Yeah, it was is crazy. Is that what CPP
1: stand for? Committed <laughs> practitioners in person.
0: <laughs> That's really funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to totally tell them about that. <laughs> <laughs> the structure of the course is that we have in-person modules and also there is homework to do. So we're going to be talking about the first month of homework. They call them continuing investigations. Are you
1: going to get me to help you with your homework? Is that what's happening here? Yes, I
0: would like you to help me with my homework. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I see what's happening.
0: Yeah. You, our callers or our listeners, write in all the time and say how charming and clever you are. So who better to help Mm -hmm. me with my homework?
1: I'm happy to do it. So what's the assignment?
0: So the first assignment for the month of January They had us read a sutta.
1: I haven't done the reading for this homework. It's totally
0: fine. You haven't, I don't think you've prepared for any of these podcasts and they've gone just fine. It's
1: correct. So why
0: would we change something that's working so well? (laughs) (laughs) It's about one of the suttas. And I thought I would give for those listeners who aren't familiar with what a sutta is, I thought I'd give a quick structure of the Pali Canon just to, what is a sutta?
1: Yeah. How does a sutta figure into the overall? Mm -hmm.
0: What is a sutta? Okay. So there are a lot of Buddhisms. There's Japanese Buddhism, and there's Chinese Buddhism, and there's Korean Buddhism, and there's Thai Buddhism, and Sri Lankan Buddhism, and there's this interesting melange buddhism that's happening in the west one of those buddhisms uses as their primary what's the word for it like their religious texts their
1: foundational texts fa- yeah their foundational yeah. texts their holy scripture you would call it if it was like a catholic uh, <laughs> right, exactly. or christian thing
0: yeah that is called the pali canon okay and,
1: and it's, it's not like, it's not shared amongst all of these uh, right, flavors it's not
0: shared it's different they have different canons and different places there's some that kind of all use the same one but there's like the Sinhalese version of the polycanon, and then there's— It sounds kind of
1: similar to the the Christian situation, because there's the Jews have a certain portion of the Catholic Bible, the, the Old Testament. Jewish people use that. Mm-hmm. And different flavors, you know, use different bits. Mm -hmm. And then the Catholics have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And then various other Christian denominations have various versions and they'll add some books and subtract some books. And it sounds like a pretty similar situation.
0: Yes, it's similar in that there's a lot of different traditions that use different versions of the same kind of thing. In the same way that, that Jesus of Nazareth did not write anything down. He just was a rad guy. Gotama. Same with Socrates. These guys didn't write anything down. They were just super rad. They are movers and shakers. Movers and shakers. uh, mm -hmm. And then people memorized what they said and wrote them down at various distances from those times. So the Pali Canon, again, is the, we'll call them scriptural texts for one of these traditions. Typically, we would say the Theravadan. There's a little variation, but primarily we'll say Theravadan Buddhists use the Pali Canon. The Pali Canon is divided into three sections. They're called baskets. The first basket is sort of texts for the mendicants, what we would now call monks and nuns, but I like the word mendicant better. It's actually what the word bhikkhu and bhikkhuni means. So, okay. mendicants. Yeah. The second basket is teachings of Gotama, things that Gotama said. And the third basket is philosophy. And that was actually done later. So, that's not stuff that Gotama said, it's things that the tradition have philosophized yeah, yeah, about. It developed over time.
1: since then. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So the first one is for the mendicants. Yeah. Second one is things that Gautama said. Yeah. And the last one is philosophy that's developed since Gotama lived.
0: Yes. Okay. And this is a really superficial designation. Sure, sure. Gautama said stuff in the first one. Sometimes it's not clear why a sutta is in one and not the other because it's good for both.
1: So these baskets are composed of suttas.
0: Well, not quite. Not yet. We'll get there. Yes. So there's the three baskets. So we're going to look at basket number two, the teachings, the sayings of Gotama. Sayings of Gautama. okay. Yeah. Inside of that basket, there are collections, nikayas, they're called. And within those nikayas, there are multiple suttas. So you know these big books that I have? Yeah, yeah, she's these pointing
1: are... to the bookshelf here. This is it's a dangerous <laughs> looking book.
0: Solid collection. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the nikayas inside of the second basket.
1: I see, okay. Okay. Like how many, like roughly speaking, how many Nicayas, how many feet of bookshelf are we
0: talking about? Several feet of bookshelf. Several
1: feet of bookshelf.
0: Yeah. I don't know how many, actually. Okay. For the yeah, for the basket basket, there's several books.
1: So you're talking, if you want to have all of this text together, you're going to need like a reasonable size bookcase. I
0: would it. like a library. Yeah, that'd be fine.
1: Sounds fine. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, which of these Nicayas would trigger the secret door that causes the bookcase to move aside?
0: Oh, ooh. I would have to say probably the Dhammapada as translated by Gil Fransdahl.
1: Okay. Stay tuned, listeners, for a future podcast in which we discuss. (laughs) So. So we've got our baskets. Yes. We've got our Nakayas, which is like a a volume collection. Mm -hmm, collection. Okay.
0: And it's a collection of suttas.
1: And then uh, inside of that, we have suttas. Yes.
0: Okay. So we're going to be looking at, one... Of these many, many, many suttas. How
1: big is a sutta? Like in terms of number of words? Yeah, it can
0: b- be one page or it can be 30 pages. I think this one is 15-ish pages. I, okay, didn't, it's I don't very actually remember. The nikayas, one of them is called the long discourses. And then the middle length discourses. And that's where we're going to be is the majima nikaya, which means middle length or middle majima nikaya's collection. The collection of middle length discourses.
1: Okay. got it.
0: Okay.
1: So we're in the Theravadin tradition. Yes. Theravadin Pali Canon. Yes. We're in the basket, which is the sayings of Gotama. Yes. We're in the Nikaya of the middle length. Yes. Suttas. Yeah. Got it.
0: The Majima Nikaya. Well done. Okay.
1: And what's the name of the sutta that we're uh, doing?
0: Crucially, the number is often used because the names are difficult. MN26. So Majima Nikaya 26. The Arya Paryesa Sutta.
1: Okay. What does it mean?
0: The translations for the title are Noble Quest or Noble Search. Okay. Which feels a little silly to me. Like, I. Anyway, the translations of the title are Noble Quest or Noble Search. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I am not always good at. One of the reasons I wanted to talk with you about this Mm -hmm. is because I am not always great at reading these suttas. They are religious, right? Okay. <laughs> the venerable Ananda, the holy one. Mm. A lot of
1: superfluous adjectives. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of adjectives and a lot of reverence, a lot of languaging, like the noble search, the noble and ignoble searches, mm-hmm. which is not a thing that I often walk around saying to people,
1: I'm going on a noble uh, <laughs> errand to the a noble search at the grocery store. Or? <laughs> probably
0: going to be an ignoble search. Let's be honest, right? Like I'm probably going on an ignoble search to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> so I often have some resistance to reading these things. And I was trying to understand, okay, how am I going to engage with this material? You know, I'm in this course, I'm in an 18 month course. This is the very first homework. How do I engage with this in a way that is skillful?
1: I've had a lot of, a lot of Catholic education. I, I went to a Catholic school all the way uh, from the beginning of school up through, through university, undergrad, and have have waded through a, a number of religious texts in my time.
0: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I really didn't engage with that stuff much. And so I struggle with it.
1: Let's be clear. I struggle with it too. Okay, great. And that entire time.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. But I thought, well, okay, so this is the first piece of homework they've given us there must be something in here. The the teachers at Bodie College, whom I respect and who I'm putting my trust in for 18 months, said, this is the first thing we want you to read. Okay. Whatever is in here is so important that it's this is the thing we want to set the ground for the remainder of your course. So I did the thing I always do, which is I did this deep dive, this very analytical reading because I don't read poly very well yet, I took five translations and I broke them out sentence by sentence. You went
1: big, you went big. And
0: I you compared the them across guns. the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link to that in the show notes so that I could understand the mechanics and, oh, well, this person translated the word this way and this person translated the word this way. But what I found from that was it still wasn't speaking to me. I'm trusting these teachers. I'm putting my faith in them for 18 months. They have decided that there's something in here that's so important that we need to start with this. This is the ground. right. Okay. So what is it? What is that thing?
1: Let me tell you, sit back and I will, i uh, let me elucidate.
0: You're going to elucidate? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just wow. Talking. Great. I'm glad.
1: So, I'm sorry to interrupt.
0: That's okay. No, I was, I thought maybe you had something. I
1: haven't. I know only after eight the years. Name. I should
0: I should be able to read your hyperbole, but I still don't. I, still and I know really only
1: can't. the name of the sutta, and do you uh, know the name? It's or the, the name
0: in English. Okay.
1: No, I I couldn't tell you the poly, and I couldn't remember the number for you. But it's like an ignoble search or a no, noble search. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Is that is that what it talks about? The difference between noble and ignoble things that can be searched for, or methods of yes. searching, or yes. okay. Yeah. All right.
0: So. What I finally did, what I did was I read back through it and I said, okay, what is the most fundamental piece of information in here? What is the kicker? Why? Yeah. Instead of reading it for this deep dive content, instead of teasing apart translations, what is the point?
1: What's the kernel?
0: Yeah, Judson Brewer says, so what? He brings the so what question to everything, which I really love. So what, so what, why am I reading this? Yeah. And what I think is really important here The name of the sutta is the noble search. Noble search doesn't resonate with me. So what kind of languaging might I use instead? Some of the Bodhi College teachers, including John Peacock, use the term ennobling. They would say the ennobling search. So it's a search that ennobles you. Ennobles the searcher? Yes. So Adds adds
1: nobility to the searcher. Yeah,
0: the act of searching adds nobility to the searcher. Okay. But even that language is a little weird. My Dharma friends would totally get it. But sure. <laughs> but, but talking with normal people, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so I thought, what about the word orienting? Hmm. What am I orienting towards? Which felt a little more idiomatic, felt a little more natural to me to talk about.
1: I'm not sure I understand the word orienting. Would you tell yeah, me a little yeah. more about it?
0: What is my life oriented towards? Oh, am I okay. oriented towards for acquisitions and wealth? Things, for example? Yeah. Am I oriented towards acquisitions? Am I oriented towards wealth acquisition? Am I oriented towards Lamborghini acquisition?
1: Personal relationships.
0: Or am I oriented towards relationships?
1: Creating art, Yeah. adding beauty to the world, yeah, okay.
0: And as soon as I started thinking about it in that frame, what am I oriented towards? Where's my bandwidth going? Where am I?
1: Your time, your energy. Yeah,
0: where's my time and my energy going? my time and my attention, maybe even more
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: to use, <laughs> to use Buddhisty language. What is my life oriented towards? So that made a lot of sense. As you know, every year I do this sort of Annual—it's uh, not a review; it's not last year's, but it's like going forward. So it's
1: a—it's a reckoning. It's a planning of the next year.
0: Yeah, yeah. This—I look at my values, and then from my values, I build my goals. I make a plan, and
1: is this sutta sort of a way to? Does it give some tools that you might use to evaluate the things that you've that you've put in your plan for the next year, and like examine them and say? Are they adding nobility to me? Is that what the sutta is about?
0: Not exactly. The sutta talks about what not to do as opposed Mm. to what to do. I mean, it does say you should be oriented towards nirvana, but nirvana slash nirvana, depending on how you pronounce it, is a tricky word because we haven't pinned down what that word means. Depending on who you ask, there's different things that word means. So saying like you should be oriented towards nirvana.
1: Thanks. Not useful.
0: is kind of like saying you should be oriented towards flourishing. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah got it
0: what it actually does it says what not to orient towards okay so we'll get to that in just a minute okay but i wanted to talk about the importance i think of this orientation because i see that as being when i ask myself why are the teachers of bodhi college having me read this sutta they're saying look you need to make sure your life is oriented in the right direction
1: and then more advanced things
0: and then the other stuff right if we keep spending our time pointing it towards things that aren't helping us flourish, then this other stuff isn't going to come along. You said something I thought was genius the other night. We were talking about, oh, we had done our last year's annual financial review. And you said something, you said that you weren't feeling that the amount of money spent was commensurate with the level of personal fulfillment. You felt like you're spending money or we were spending money, but you weren't feeling the joy, an equal amount of joy from that. I thought that was a really wise insight because you were recognizing that like I'm spending resources, let's just put money off the table, resources, money, time, attention, putting resources into stuff that isn't fulfilling, isn't making us happy. And when we do that, that is Gautama's version of the quote unquote ignoble search. That's what happens when we're oriented towards things that aren't ultimately fulfilling. Does that make sense?
1: It makes sense. Yeah.
0: I think this is really interesting because it's not our fault. We have a culture, a society that encourages us to be oriented towards acquisition of goods. There
1: are, there, to put it more generally, there are a number of things that want to influence our orientation. Yeah. The sutta, for example, wants to influence it, but also the, the advertising industry behind consumer goods, Yeah, Lamborghinis in particular, <laughs> they're doing what they can.
0: I bring up Lamborghinis because I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast. Oh, but please do. I think
1: listeners would enjoy more Lamborghini content. More Lamborghini content. Yeah. So
0: when I was a kid, I had a big poster in my room. If you saw it, you'd know the genre, but I'm sure it was Photoshopped. It was a house on a cliff looking out onto the ocean. And there were, I think there were six different Lamborghinis parked out front. A red yeah. one, a black one, a white one, whatever. Yeah. And a helicopter pad with a helicopter on it. And Sounds whatever. Like
1: Malibu to me. And,
0: yeah. And it said, the one who dies with the most toys wins.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's how my life was oriented, my my you life.
1: You have this poster in your room every I day <laughs> if you look at it several yeah.
0: times. Yeah, I <laughs> thought, okay, the thing to do is to acquire these goods and then I will be happy. You'll win. I'll win and winning is make, will make me, yeah, and that's another thing, you win and then if you win, you're happy. But we know people, I I know people personally, but also our culture knows there are plenty of famous rich people who commit suicide because they're miserable. It is clearly not simply the acquisition of goods, fame, fortune, whatever. Followers. Followers, yeah. <laughs> little little, little thumbs ups. That leads to fulfillment.
1: Just a tip to the listeners. We don't have this poster in our house currently. <laughs> Although it, it lives in your memory. Absolutely. Like this, this articulation of that value was so vivid to you. You're moving away from it. You're rejecting it in some way, but still, yeah. it's with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Before we met in Los Angeles, for me, it was fast cars, fast motorcycles, fast boys, rooftop cocktails. That was what winning looked like. And it was incredibly dangerous to me physically and and harmful to my mental health. I was not mentally well in, in that experience. And those things are still very dear to my heart. <laughs> I will
1: say, listeners, that I met Shannon. She was driving a red Ducati motorcycle or black leathers. and It was a vivid image. <laughs> and in that, that image stays stays with me today as well. And I'm still enjoying it.
0: Excellent. I'm so glad to hear it. I still love those things, but I'm no longer holding those things up as the pinnacle of well-being, of the pinnacle of winning, of the goal of my life. It's actually something that they talk about in this sutta. It's okay to enjoy the objects in the world some people think that buddhism or the teachings of gotama will tell you you have to go live in a cave and you have to give up everything and asceticism and whatever actually it says in here the problem is not the objects i want to find the exact language here. hang on a second the problem is not the things themselves. The problem is one is, quote, tied to these things, infatuated with them and utterly committed to them, right? That's where we get into a problem where we hold these objects, these things as the highest good, as the thing we have to, to dedicate our lives to, right? So you were asking earlier, is there a, do they talk about it? the noble search and the ignoble search or what I would say orientation, a skillful orientation versus an unskillful, It's interesting because he actually starts off saying spouses and children. And some people really take issue with that. They're like, wait a minute. You mean I can't love my family? And that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying that you can't hold your family as a thing that is supposed to make you happy. Right. Like we see parents do this with kids, right? The child is supposed to fulfill the unlived dreams of the parent. Mm
1: -hmm. No pressure. (laughs) No No pressure, kids. No
0: pressure. You got to make mommy happy. You know, like (laughs) we see this all the time. I know I have a lot of friends who have this particular psychological upbringing. Or you see people who get married because the other person is supposed to make them happy.
1: Or the other person maybe has a quality that they themselves wish they had.
0: Yeah, right. Every fairy tale ends, they got married and then they lived happily ever after. And you are an amazing, wonderful person. So being my partner, I should never have a moment of unhappiness if that is in fact the case, because I got the right guy. But it's not just about you. And I can't expect you to make me happy. That's a great way to ruin a relationship, frankly.
1: Yeah, it's like- as partners, maybe you can help each other, but it's not simply by being partners. It's more of an active
0: Yeah, you can't expect somebody else to fix to to make you happy. It's it's not about it's not they don't even have that power. They don't have that power. And we're again we're taught that. We're the fairy tale ends, yeah. they got married and they lived happily yeah. ever after. And so if you can just get married, everything's gonna be fine.
1: <laughs> right. But if a person selling wedding goods or services is pitching this message, then be suspicious. <laughs>
0: So it starts off with spouses and children and then it moves into slaves. That's a problem. We definitely shouldn't be trying to get slaves. But then these other things sheep, pigs, elephants, the trappings of high society, things that that show wealth, which today would be fashion, clothes, Lamborghinis
1: It's <laughs> two that's two Lamborghini mentions for us listener counting at home. Is this gonna become a drinking game in this podcast?
0: <laughs> sure we have some tea right over here mm-hmm. we can have a little mm-hmm. sip of the water the only
1: podcast that has a tea drinking game associated with it
0: <laughs> they do talk about gold and silver the acquisition of gold and silver but again it's not about having these things it doesn't say if you have gold and silver if you have elephants then that's a problem although I think if we had an elephant it would in fact
1: it would indicate that we're in a class of society that's un- unseen
0: in, in the Pacific in Northwest, the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the problem is not the elephant or the gold and silver. The problem is when we are tied to these things, when we are infatuated with them, when we are utterly committed to them, when we believe that these things can give us happiness, that's where the problem comes in. Can I make a point about this? Sure.
1: So, well, or I guess let me ask you a question. Yeah. So it seems like there are there are a couple aspects to having, so I have a bicycle here that I'm enjoying. Mm, yes. But there are a couple of aspects to it. One aspect is that this bicycle is made by a, a prestigious brand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so one one way that I could be enjoying it is uh, I could tell other people oh, I have a bicycle made by
0: yes. so-and-so.
1: Mm-hmm. And then they might have respect for me. Yes. They might think a certain thing about me mm-hmm. as a result. Yes. And another aspect is that this bicycle is quite a capable bicycle. Yeah. It works well. Mm-hmm. The experience of riding it is it's good. Yes. And I enjoy that. I have a, I have a camera that that is is quite a capable camera as well and using it is a pleasure.
0: Yeah.
1: Riding a motorcycle
0: mm-hmm. that
1: that works well is mm-hmm. is a pleasure. These things give pleasure to use. It seems it seems like I'm I'm on board with the idea that having things with prestigious name brands on them and then wanting that to, to convey a social status to us. Yeah. That seems like a thing that, that people commonly do. Yes. I have done. And that seems like a problematic thing. hmm It seems like a different issue to to have a thing, a tool in some ways,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that works well and to take pleasure in that, in, in the using of it, in yeah. the creating of things with it. That seems less problematic to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are we speaking about both of those here? Is it useful in this discussion to differentiate those? Or is this kind of beside the point?
0: I think it's all on a spectrum. For me, one of the, the things about the teachings of Gotama that is so important is this middle way, right? Finding this balance. So it's not, should I never have a bicycle or should I only have a rusty, crappy bicycle that barely works? Or should I have the best possible bicycle? It's recognizing what must one what are you giving up? What of your liberty, what of your liberation well, and, are you giving
1: up? Another point along this line is there's a, a graph of cost versus utility. And for many things, that's not a linear thing. Like as cost goes up, utility does not increase correspondingly. Oftentimes it will it'll go up in, in jumps. Mm-hmm. And so like for this bicycle, for example, some parts of it are, are like the top quality available. Mm-hmm. But then the other parts that I didn't need to be the top quality, eh, I just got the cheap one. Yeah. Cause, so it's a mix of some parts are very nice that, that are, I really need to be that way and then other parts are like, yeah, just whatever. So maybe this is, is something towards the idea of a middle way. Like, think about how you're going to use a thing yeah. and get the get the thing that's right for, for what you're going to be doing with it.
0: Yeah. I would also say it's not just about cost. It's also about resources, right? So yeah, okay. one of the problems in our society I'm about to say a thing that is on the political agenda. I'm not trying to make a political statement, but this is a thing that has been politicized in our country, and this is the opinion that I have. Welcome to my podcast. We are destroying our environment through consumerism. That is a view that I hold. And so when we are constantly buying new things, we might recognize that some types of things, some types of materials, for example, might be better to use or less good to use because Mm -hmm. of their impact on the environment. So it's not just about cost. That's one thing I want to say is recognizing that it's not just about bottom line dollar cost. It's about what is the effect? What is it? Okay. Last podcast episode, we talked about dependent origination. We talked about how Adapachaya yeah. Adapachayatap, we talked about how things are interconnected. Yeah. So my decision to purchase an item or not purchase that item has effects outside of that individual purchase and its effects on my financial status. Mm-hmm. It has ripple effects the people who created it, whether or not I buy it from a private reseller versus from a big box store, whether...
1: What's going to happen to that item after you're done using it?
0: Right. Am I going to throw, is is it an item that can be reused or not, or that can be repaired or not? There are so, there's so much more that goes into it than cost. So that's, I just want to caution against using cost as a metric.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Good point.
0: Yeah. But to go back to your question, yes, I think it's okay to get It's not saying you can't have nice things. (laughs) It's just saying, pay attention to where one is oriented. Is one's life dedicated towards having six Lamborghinis and a house and a helicopter? And is that really making you happy? Or is that making a person happy or not? And I would argue in many cases, not.
1: I was talking to a colleague at work the other day who just moved Mm -hmm. from, from somewhere else to the city that we're in now. And he still has, back in his previous city, a a garage full of stuff that he's not using. And so here's an example of having a bunch of stuff around that you're you're not using. It's having a cost in terms of money. It's having a cost in terms of weighing on you. He's having to spend time figuring out what to do with this thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And our culture, the point I was making earlier that I think is really important is our culture nudges us. There's all kinds of, again, this idea of dependent origination, causes and conditions, creating an environment in which we are oriented one way or another. All around us, our culture is nudging us in the direction of acquisition, buy more things, make more money so you can buy more things, nicer things. So there's this constant pressure to, to perform in this way. And that can be dangerous to individuals and globally to the mm-hmm. environment. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. So we have we have a, this sutta. Yeah. It gives us a list of things to avoid if we want to be doing some noble searching.
0: Yeah, but I think that list is not the thing that's important.
1: Oh, what's okay. What's the thing that's important?
0: The important thing is noticing what we're being oriented towards. Okay. That, and that's why I wasn't even necessarily going to talk about what the sutta says we should be orienting towards because their lives were less complicated.
1: Fine, but, but a pick a thing. Know know that you're picking a thing to be oriented towards
0: Yeah, and and pick it carefully. Exactly. Pick it carefully. Be aware. Be cognizant of what you're orienting towards because we are always laying down neural pathways. We are are always running these neural pathways and we can be either creating new ones that Mm -hmm. are more skillful or we can be running through those same ruts that are less skillful or we can be creating new ones that are also unskillful. Right. There's a lot of things we can do. Every time when we look at brain function, what we see is that every choice or lack of choice that we make lays down a pattern. So we need to be careful what those are.
1: We're, we're always forming our future habits.
0: Yes, we. that is a great way to phrase it. We are always forming our future habits. When we were talking about intentionally orienting towards something, we were talking about how we live in a society that orients us towards acquisition of goods. One thing I wanted to say was, you know, we are hedonic beings. I've talked about this hedonic tone, yeah. this vedana, yeah. you know, we have this evolutionary history of this hedonic response. Things are pleasant. Things are unpleasant. And and we really respond to that. And that has been a powerful survival mechanism. They, it's still, it's in the sea slug. It's, it goes, all the way back to single-celled amoebas.
1: Well, it's certainly true for me today.
0: Right, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely a part of our biology. And so we need to recognize how much of what I'm doing is just driven by hedonic tone. How much of this is wise decision-making and how much of it is just about my hedonic response to the world. And because we are hedonic beings, not only is our society orienting us towards acquisition, but we are biologically oriented towards pleasure, towards acquiring things that give us immediate pleasure too. Not long-term pleasure, right? It's not about broccoli. <laughs> it's about buying that box of Russell Stover's cream chocolates that's on sale and eating all of them right now.
1: <laughs> Very good.
0: I'm just gonna, you know. Maybe... Although we
1: did, we did buy broccoli today first.
0: That's true. We did buy, but we, only because we didn't know that the chocolates were on sale. I would have bought them first as well.
1: Well, <laughs> we can only look at the record, and that's what happened.
0: It's Availability heuristic, I think. I think the thing I just wanted to talk about was this idea that this sutta, MN26, Majima Nikaya 26, along with a lot of other information, like many Dharma talks, there's a lot of stuff in this sutta. I'll put a link in the show notes. Please feel free to go and take a look at it. But Will
1: you also link to your awesome spreadsheet?
0: Sure, I'll link to my awesome spreadsheet. But the point is that we need, as you said, to be aware of what we are oriented towards, to pay attention to what we're pointing towards. I do. You had asked, "What does I? What am I, Shannon, doing?" And I've been doing the same sort of plan since 2008 in January,
1: you have the same structure for your particular goals that orientation has changed a little bit, but your structure.
0: Yeah. The structure is the same in January. I sit down and I figure out my values for the year and then I build goals from that. And then I have a plan that comes out of that. And for me, that's been really helpful. Some people say like, oh, that's way too goal oriented or whatever. But for me, having those values in place gives me a really powerful structure and a way to orient my life. And helps me to figure out you know, where to point my bandwidth. In fact, in my to-do list, when I'm being particularly strict, mm-hmm. if I'm gonna put something in my to-do list, I have to tag it with one of my values.
1: Link it back to one,
0: okay. It has to go back to a value. And if it's not, then I need to seriously ask myself, why is this thing going in my to-do list if it is not oriented towards one of my values? Okay. I think that some Dhamma people might eschew Oh, technology and structure. Some people are like, oh, I just want to be free about how I make my decisions. For those, for
1: those people, let me invite you to consider that Buddhism has a lot of lists involved. And so <laughs> if you if you want like any parallels there between <laughs> these various to-do list technologies and Buddhism, that might be it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the backup on that one. This has been a structure that has just been really helpful for me in orienting towards away from Lamborghinis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. away from Lamb- lamborghini Third, acquisition fourth fourth mentioned. yeah towards liberty and towards flourishing and towards being a better human being and taking care of the planet it's allowed me to change in this way i came across this great quote by bill gates i think two days ago it says i have been struck by how important measurement is to improving the human condition you can achieve incredible progress if you set a clear goal and find a measure that will drive progress toward that goal. Mm. And I think that's so true, you know, Mm. that we have to be careful because sometimes we can pick the wrong measure. Sure. In public education, for example, the thing we're measuring is whether or not you can take a test. So we're teaching kids how to take tests. We're teaching kids how to memorize things. We're teaching teachers how to teach kids how to memorize things. We're not teaching critical skills. So we have failed because we've chosen the wrong measurement. One thing that I did for this year for 2022 is, so I, as we talked about, I do this values and then I make goals from the values. One of the values was aesthetics. And one of the goals, when I first created it, the goal was in one year, I would like our apartment to look good while remaining turnkey. So I didn't want to have 35 houseplants because I needed it to be
1: Turn turnkey means we can go traveling, walk yeah, away. Exactly. There, there is nothing, nothing here requires regular maintenance. Right. Because our, like our house in Baltimore,
0: we have 35 house plants in <laughs> that's a lot they of They were over. awesome. They were awesome. So the first version in one year, I would like our apartment to look good. But when I was thinking about that, that didn't feel like a value that felt like flourishing. That felt like go to CB2 and spend $2,000 and buy a bunch of nice things for the apartment. But that didn't quite feel like.
1: Do it. You could imagine what that would be like. Yeah. You could say, okay, imagine that we had different stuff. Would that be? And I you're saying, no, would not like what I'm after exactly. You wouldn't object.
0: Would not object. <laughs>
1: you like you like all the things at CB2.
0: I do like all the things at CB2. <laughs> if CB2 would like to sponsor this podcast, please call immediately. Get in, get in touch. Super fine with that. <laughs> but it didn't feel like a flourishing value to me a
1: little I, too much like parking a Lamborghini in your house.
0: Yeah, it felt like Lamborghini acquisition. Fifth mention. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a long conversation with a friend of mine who is an artist and so is really into aesthetics in, in the Dama. Thanks again, Scott, if you're listening. And what we came to over talking for a while is I said, okay, I know what I want this goal to be. So the goal changed from the old version. I would like our apartment to look good to I would like to feel good about how our apartment looks. Okay. So you yeah. see that difference, right? It's like, a shift in orientation. Yes, right. I want to, the, the thing is the same kind of, I want to feel good.
1: But the me, the measurement. The thing
0: little... that I measure, the thing I'm measuring is my sensitivity to aesthetic, not how expensive are my pillows.
1: Because one, one thing is maybe even a little more measurable than the other. If you say, I like the apartment to look good. There's no scale. Can That's be a measured. false
0: statement. I can show you Instagram photos. <laughs> But again, it comes back
1: to the way you would actually be doing that is you would say, I feel a certain way about this Instagram photo. And that is a feeling I would like to have about our
0: apartment. I'm going to replicate that here. Are
1: these things identical? And so then by reframing it, you've really said that in a more overt sort of way.
0: And I can work on something else. I don't have to work on what pillows we have. I can work on my own aesthetic sensibility. I can orient myself to saying, I love the view from our balcony. I love our hummingbirds that are outside. I love... Let's create the a
1: way that, to enjoy those things.
0: Right. I love the fact that we don't have to have the heater on because we have this tiny little condo on the south side of a building that is warmed by the sun. Yeah. <laughs> I can be more intentional about what I am orienting myself towards. So it's no longer about, again, something else making me happy, buying things to make the apartment look nice. It's about Shannon recognizing, why don't i appreciate this place we have a nicer house than versailles technically just from indoor plumbing right <laughs> big big factor big factor so why also am I... our,
1: our mirrors are higher quality
0: <laughs> why am i dissatisfied looking at my own dissatisfaction this i would like our apartment to look good doesn't say shannon what is going on with your dissatisfaction Whereas I would like to feel good about how our apartment looks says, okay, what's going on with me? How can I reorient? One good example
1: of this might be the hummingbird feeder. For Christmas, you received a hummingbird feeder. It's so great. It's so great.
0: I'll put a link in the show notes.
1: (laughs) And it's a thing that has increased your enjoyment of the apartment quite a bit. And of the view from the balcony, you've put it, you've put it in a place on the balcony so that when you're sitting at your computer working on editing this podcast just over the top of the monitor just if you if you look over there out towards the water you can see the hummingbird feeder and and the hummingbirds yeah right out there and that's a small expenditure it's a physically small thing but it changes your experience in quite a big way yeah on a daily basis it gets you involved in the process of creating hummingbird juice putting it out there (laughs) bringing the thing in at night cleaning it out refilling it yeah yeah changes your experience
0: yeah absolutely yeah What do you think? How has this landed for you?
1: Yeah, I thanks thanks for pointing out the idea that we're constantly creating our habits.
0: Yeah, it's scary. I (laughs) yeah, it's scary.
1: I was uh, I was reading a thing the other day that pointed out that if you think about the way you experience your life, we tend to be oriented to big things. Do I have a Lamborghini or not? Mm -hmm. Sixth mention. Thank you. And that the presence of Lamborghinis in one's life perhaps impact your life less than the way you greet your partner when you or they return to the house each day. Yeah. Like we, we make a point of doing that. And I recently, that's a thing I've been focusing on. I've noticed that when I come home, you make a point of stopping what you're doing, coming over, or, or if you can't stop, I'll make a point of coming over to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and we, we touch each other, we say, we say, hello. Things like that have a a big impact on our experience of the world. It's evidence that we're oriented towards relationships with other people, Mm -hmm. cultivating those relationships. Yeah. Yeah, and paying attention to these things changes our experience of the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Changes our, our role in the world. Yeah. Changes the experience other people have of us.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much, listeners. As usual, you can find us at DharmaPhD.com. Check out the show notes for some links. And may you be well. Let
1: me do, do a little burp here.
0: Great. You want to tell me a joke? Knock, knock. Who's there? Uh,
1: oh, I was going to do the interrupting cow, but I forgot to interrupt you. No. Thanks. <laughs> Well, uh, stay tuned, oh, yeah. listeners, uh, to our other podcast.
0: <laughs> Shannon learns
1: German. <laughs> Shannon and Jeff explore the etymology of German words.
0: Wow, that's not going to have any followers at oh, all.
1: <laughs> nope. But the nice thing about podcasts is you don't require any followers that's to make true. a podcast. You that's can just true. you can just do it.
0: Yeah. Welcome to Dharma PhD. <laughs>
1: we don't have to ask permission of anyone to do this podcast. Here Thank we goodness. Are, blazing forward,
0: relentlessly.